We're live and welcome to a yarn live. Today's special edition is with none other than Yvonne Damon. So um, let me tell you a little bit of a backstory uh, to what we're doing today and then of course we'll get Yvonne to introduce herself. So my name is Ryan the Lion and this is Yarn Live, an extension of A Few Quiet Yarns and specifically this is uh, for AFQI Women and this comes from International Women's Day and the success that the event that we hosted uh, had in terms of the impact with the feedback from the various women who said, I'm going to go and do this now and I'm going to do that and I'm not going to worry about imposter syndrome and I'm inspired by the story. So we had um, our first session with Jolie and Justine doing the only chair and um, CEO um, uh, combination. Now we have Yvonne Damon, who has a stellar career with all of the blue chip, whether it be client side or service side, the ministries, the brands like IBM, Unisys, you name it. It's what I would call a stellar career. And I can see Yvonne cringing at what I'm saying right now. So <laughs> I, I'm going to uh, say that her humility is probably one of the great aspects to her career and her leadership, which you will hear as she speaks. So probably with that, I can be quiet and get into our first question, which as always is to ask you, Yvonne, and thank you for being a guest, um, but to ask you if you could introduce yourself so we can meet you as the person, um, and then we'll talk about all the career and the business after that. Morning, I'm Yvonne Damond. Um, I'm a Fijian, full Fijian, from Naividula in the Thai level in um, Fiji, on the island of Viti level. For those of you who know the island, um, I grew up here in New Zealand and um, and have been living in Wainamata for years. Um, we have three boys, um, Joseph, Ethan and Eli. Um, and yeah, we just are a family, live, work, hang out. That's brilliant. So um, did I, oh look, there's already one in there saying, hey, auntie, smash it. <laughs> Who's that? Oh, that's Amy Damon. I know you and me. I wondered actually, I was going to, I, was going, I had it in my head and I was going to ask and then I was like, no, um, that's like, um, you know, someone asking, because you live in yeah, the yeah. in Dunedin, Ryan, do you know? No, there's more than 100,000 people in Dunedin. Um, how cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like people ask if you say you're a Fiji and they go, oh, do you know so-and-so? No, sorry, I'm rubbish. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something like 300 islands as, as part of Fiji. So the archipelago, yeah. 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 I, was, I was blown away when I discovered that on my one and only time to Fiji, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, and probably one of the um, uh, most beautiful aspects, uh, as everyone will say, um, uh, are the people. Um, so, yeah, had a wonderful time there and made some great friends that I'm still in touch with thanks to Facebook. Um, so if we, you know, you, you mentioned that you've got three kids. Three boys, yeah. Sorry? They're not really kids anymore. Three boys, no. yeah. Three boys, three boys. Okay, so they're um, uh, sort of adult children now? The two elder ones are in their 20s, and then the baby's 16. The so baby's 16. Yeah, yeah, the baby. Yes. So we're still navigating the um, intricacies of teenage stuff. School. Wanting a license, getting a license, parties, um, yeah, all the good stuff. And, and just about to embark on his career or the beginning of his career. So that takes us back to the beginning of your career. How did you get started in IT? If you could take us through that story. Um, so I so I used to work for Department of Social Welfare. It's now Ministry of Social Development. Um, and I took, a, I call it a secondment, into a test to test for there was going to be a replacement of the benefit and payment system. So I took a secondment as a tester. Um, so that sounds all great, but I was like, I think maybe 19, turning 20, and got into testing, realised I'm not very good at it, and I didn't understand it, um, as most teenagers probably attest to. Um, and so I started writing, you had to write out why code didn't work or whatever the case would be. And I started writing stories about the code because um, that was about the most interesting part of it. And then some of those stories were being published in the 
think it's the Government Gazette at the time. Um, and then a woman who worked there at Tritech out in Lane Street Upper Hutt, she asked me if I would come be interested in doing this business analysis thing. So I went and did that with her um, and she just said it was facilitating workshops to get requirements out of users. But again, didn't really understand that. Just thought, oh, it's a chance to just talk to heaps of people. Just do that instead of sitting around um, with a bunch of super clever software developers that I didn't understand their language and they probably didn't understand me. <laughs> um, and then basically just fell into it, went back into my frontline job after doing that secondment and then a job got advertised in um, wherever it was advertised for a BA in head office for social welfare and so I applied for it and I got an interview and then I got the job. I wasn't really expecting it because I didn't really have any experience and I still didn't really understand what this technology thing was about but I knew that I didn't want to keep working frontline um, because of the nature of the work that we were doing and what we were exposed to so I was not, I was, wasn't equipped to deal with that either. So um, so I went into head office and worked in a BA team, a business analysis team, with people who had degrees and had written theses about technology stuff and spoke a language I didn't really understand. Um, and just thought, oh, I quite like this. I'm just writing documents, like I kind of like this and I'm le learning stuff. Um, and then over, so once I got in there, we got to meet the, the government had brought in Americans to help with this benefit payments replacement system. And so I got working um, alongside them and met the, the senior manager at the time was a woman from the States, um, Corinda Silva, and she was amazing. So I thought, well, I'll just like get her advice on the stuff and learn from her and then went from there. I got made redundant from social welfare a million years ago and then got offered a job at EDS, which was Electronic Data Systems at the time. They were uh, subsequently purchased by Hewlett Packard. So I work, ended up working at EDS in this BA role. And the role was really, because again, I applied for the job, didn't really have any skills or really understand it. And so the job that I took on was to actually help the BA frame up what, what the user requirements were. And so sitting with him and getting information out of him was kind of easy. And then putting it together, I realised it was a jigsaw puzzle. We, back in that day, we... Um, it's called Agile now, but it was called Unified Modelling. And so in the software development shops, particularly internationally, they were using Unified Modelling. And so so the, the behaviour um, of it was Agile. So that was, you know, that's... We still had electricity for those of you that are young, but it's the um, originating starting... It was the originating starting point for, um, for the Agile framework basically. And so we used to do a lot of modeling use cases um, and use a lot of modeling tools and then doing traceability and all that jazz. And so I learned, I learned that stuff because I read and I was working with Americans and they showed me this site. Um, the, this was even before, like the internet was still in its like starting point. So it was really basic. But the Americans had shown me this, this book, this bookstore called Amazon. And so I used to save up my pay in order these um, unified modeling books so I could do the research on what they would be talking about. Um, and so I got references from from the guys I worked with of what books I should be reading. And so that's basically how I kind of kicked it all off. I started researching all that stuff, bought the books off Amazon, got them delivered um, and read and learned and took that back into the, into, um, the team that I was working in. And it worked really simply. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I absolutely love it. I've been putting in some um, comments and time stamping, and they're kind of some good notes for some questions I'd like to come back on. So one of it was um, uh, your quote, which said, I applied for the job. I didn't really know it. I didn't understand it. So a couple of things on that, because um, we spoke uh, earlier in the week about some of these aspects. And this one we didn't quite speak about, but I did some networking training for Microsoft and specifically for women. So I had to atone my normal networking course, you know, how to do this, how to do that for women and the problem that, um, well, not problem, um, challenges or differences. 
And what I discovered is that um, men will apply for a job with no qualifications, no idea, no no way of knowing, but they'll still give it a, you know, there's some something like 30 or 45% knowledge. Women wouldn't apply for a job unless they had 90 to 95% knowledge. So for your statement to say, I didn't know it, didn't understand it, and you applied for it, that is a that is a huge piece of leadership in terms of giving it a go, getting stuck in, and not letting the um, not quite sure of what the right label is. I was going to say stereotypical or gender bias of of how women um, typically mm-hmm. won't go for things that um, aren't that they aren't confident they can do. Whereas men, um, and this is partly why men, uh, one of the reasons yeah. why men proceed um, and women don't proceed as fast or as much because women believe they need to have 95, 100% capability before going for it. Whereas men, uh, we'll say yes now and work it out later. So huge congratulations. I think it depends on how you made, right? Like I'm I'm the person that will just go, oh, yeah, I'll do that and then get in it and go, it's sort of like this situation. Yeah, I'll do that. Then go, oh, actually, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but it's too late, I'm in. <laughs> So, you know, you kind of just have to suck it up. But also, like, to put it in context, uh, it's not like I was some young person who didn't, who just did it because I didn't have any other reason. It's just, I was a young mum. So I wasn't getting paid very much. Um, it was clear that the, I didn't see a career path with um, through the government space and technology at the time, which is language I'm using now because I'm old, but I didn't know that then. Uh, and I just simply saw it as my boss didn't like me. I didn't really understand the group I worked with. And once the Americans went back, there wasn't really sort of any, you didn't get a global sense of where where this IT thing could take you in the country at the time. And yeah. especially like the country at the time, it was about banking, you worked for social welfare, or you worked for justice, or or um, you worked for any, any of the local factories that are now all closed and uh, replaced by apartments. Um, or you did whatever, whatever you did. And that was kind of the thing. And so I knew that um, as a young mum, I couldn't afford to have, uh, to do the things I wanted to do, basic stuff, pay my bills, feed my kid, um, on the salary I was on. And so I knew by working with the Americans what they were getting paid. And then I started like, getting to know people and sort of asking without making it obvious what they were getting paid and I was like oh, I don't really know if I'm into that so then when I went to EDS it was um it was driven by the fact that I I wanted to just test where this could go really and test myself and not really tell anyone what I was doing because I didn't want anyone to to like question me because I'd do that enough myself and worry me <laughs> which you know, it's kind of natural. Um, and I just wanted to do it um, and, and see if I liked it. And so that's, that's basically as simply as it went. Um, yeah. So feeding your feet, looking after your kid is a great motivator, I think. And anyone can, you know, attest to that. Absolutely. So um, I assume that through that wee part of the early stage of uh, working at MSD, doing this a comment to BA, then applying for a BA role and getting it um, somewhere in there, that's where you had your, your first of your three kids. And so I had one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, simply yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we're, sorry, what I was going, where I was going with that, um, not to um, pick on the wrong parts or, or make an awkward discussion, was that um, uh, let, let's start, let's start lining them up. Um, so you, uh, you're a woman in IT, a Pacific Islander, and added to that uh, a mother. Uh, so those are the sort of the three big things around oh. the National Women's Day that are discussions around uh, part of you know how women are perceived and discredited for various things. Oh, you've you've got children. Well, you need to go and make take care of them. I remember my mum. Um, so she was working in tech, and I was a little kid at school. And some of the comments that she got around, um, so who's looking after your kid? <laughs> and she's like, Yeah, and you would be asked all the time. You get interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. You and she's like, Is it school at three o'clock? <laughs> um, so she's like, School's looking after him. Is it school at three o'clock? Um, and then his big brother will. 
Um, so yeah, yeah. and by the way, it's none of your business. <laughs> so yeah, well, those, and, those, you know, all those years ago, that's a, you would go for a job, and that's what the recruiter would ask you. And they would ask you, oh, you're, you're a young mum. Oh, you're a single mum. Holy, that's even worse. You know, and, and that's how it felt. That's probably not what they intended. But the the premise of, of those times was that you were um, you were a mum who, who would be looking after your children instead of rocking up. And I remember walking away from job interviews thinking, oh, I'll never go back to that agency again. They're so stupid. <laughs> They're such dicks. You know, and just going, I'm just not going to. I'm just not going to put myself through this. I'm just going to keep working and learning more and learning more. And I'm going to work out how to write my CV. And I'm going to work out what language I should be, you know, what language I should be using, how I tune up, like what is that? Because when I worked, particularly at social welfare and national office at the time, and it's no disrespect to anyone who is listening. When I worked there, I did not look like anyone in the building, like the executive at the time they were, um, these gorgeous sparkly women um, with blonde hair and, and earrings and, and looked amazing. And I, I that's not my context or even who would attempt to even fit in with that. And so I was trying to work out, you know, what what are all the parts of a business that make it work? And if I'm sitting in this IT space, and at the time, the only other option you had really was to just go into the help desk, which is probably not too different to today but I just decided that I know myself I can't sit on a phone and talk to people so I don't really feel like that's my thing it's a challenge on the best of days but yeah well and so this yeah so I just me... kept doing what I was doing very cool um so this takes me back to the earlier point um you've mentioned things like a couple of times around how you um, saved your money, bought the books, and started doing your research on unified modelling at the beginning. But you then through very uh, through different parts, you've sort of reiterated that, doing your research, working things out, et cetera. And um, I'll come back to that, because first I just want to recognise a couple of comments. So there was Ian Holm who had put in um, that he agrees with you. It depends on who you are. Um, depends on, on your makeup. And not all men have the confidence to go for roles, uh, Ryan, but I agree with the sentiment. And then Rob Lynch said 100% agree. And I've, and I've got to say, uh, gentlemen, that... That's um, nice. yeah, I know them both. <laughs> you know them both? Yeah? So I myself um, didn't apply for roles that um, I should have been able to do. And I also, when I moved from um, Dunedin to Auckland, I applied for 10 roles that I had no qualifications for and got two offers. Whereas in Dunedin, I got told I was overqualified for six jobs and there was only six jobs available that I could do at the time or that I had skills for, unless I wanted to go and do something completely new and different. Um, let's choose um, fruit picking or um, shelf stacking, two co pretty popular COVID uh, things at the moment. Um, so, yeah, within my field, there were six jobs I was overqualified for in Dunedin and 10 jobs I had no idea, no qualifications for, and I got two offers in Auckland. Who can explain it? Um, so, yeah, um, I can understand that it's, it's uh, horses for courses or who, you know, what, how things are at the time and how you well, feel. It's about uh, also it's a lot relies on the person that you're going to meet. You know, like I, um, when I was at EDS, I was, I was there, I was lucky I was there for years contracting across different um, client engagements and then went overseas and, and did some work there um only because of my husband so I was really lucky in that respect so I did some free work for for the company to frame up some stuff some delivery stuff for them around transformation and even then I didn't really know what a transformation was like I was helping out because uh, I was bored uh, and being a mum at home in a foreign country was great, but I keep getting lost. And so I was like, this is so stressful, trying to take the children on these educational um, journeys around the city. And I'd just get lost and didn't know where I was going. <laughs> it was just horrendous. So I thought, well, okay, I'm rubbish at this, so I'll just go back to work. So I just started doing some free work and um, and wrote some documents and, and then um, helped them frame it, how they need to turn up. Didn't know anything about transformational transitioning services or any of that language. And again, just got in there and, and read some stuff um, around what that means, how we do that, what does it look like from a delivery perspective. 
uh, and then started kind of just chipping away at that and then ended up um, getting getting a job there and then working through that transitioning stuff. And I did stuff like a property, I did property refit, I did um, a transformation of, um, a, it was called, so these days it's called Office 365. So you're doing a transformation, it's digital, it's Office 365. Back then it was called just a common office environment. So just yours, everyone has a standard set of tools and blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, and so learnt, learnt a lot about that and then realised that I didn't want to keep working for the same company, I just wanted to do something else and so then applied for a job with Unisys and again like I didn't have any skills in that space, I just applied thinking I'll you know, just give this a crack the, the person interviewing me, the woman who interviewed me, like she it was all about the fit for team could you lead them, could you figure it out could you do that, and so that's what I did probably much to the team's horror <laughs> but um but we we did it and it was just about testing I guess testing myself all the time um and being comfortable to be able to take the hits and take the feedback yeah and not you know not take it on board and let it define you yeah you know you gotta get feedback that that actually really annoys you but um you gotta figure out a way to put it away right and so i've been pretty lucky that i've got lots of good people that i've worked with over the years where i can just be quite frank and free with um leaving it out and having kids helps trying to get stuck in and do their stuff which is way more interesting and exciting sometimes than dealing with work challenges Um, absolutely. I was just putting a little note there in the timestamp. So I just wanted to come back um, to having talked about the um, applying for roles that you that we don't have any knowledge or experience and by coming back to the buying the books on the unified modeling and doing your research and, um, you know, pursuing away, you know, coming back, everyone would have seen through LinkedIn that famous quote, I think is pinned to Richard Branson, which is, um, if you get offered an opportunity, you don't know how to do it, just say yes and work it out later um yeah. so in that sort of space uh, but what i really want to focus on is the fact that you uh, you took it upon yourself to research something and upskill yourself so you could go into the workplace and and um you know get the job yeah. and deliver which i think is a skill that you know some of the discussions i hear with young people these days there's a sort of uh i don't know if it's a time of the, the sort of have where society is at these days but there's almost as an expect some sort of expectation of things we handed to them Whereas you've actually got to go and work and you've got to use your initiative, like your example, and you've got to you know, pursue your dreams, chase your dreams, make it happen. You know, time waits for no person. You can't. So, yeah. You've got to back it, yourself, right? Even, even if your social circle, your community, if your own village isn't doing what you're doing, you you have to actually um, want it. And like I said, I mean, for me, the great motivator was, was money and and feeding the kid and doing what I needed to do as a mum um, and working out how to juggle all that stuff. And because I didn't, I don't have any qualifications. So, you know, I, I finished high school, um, did a few papers and didn't didn't take that any further. But I, my thing is I'm a, I read a lot. I still read today. I read lots of stuff on Twitter, what, the, what businesses are doing from a global perspective, how that applies to New Zealand. Like I'm naturally inquisitive. Um, but I guess for for people coming into it, what I talk about in uh, community-based settings is you have to figure out what your skills are and know. So if you're a good reader, that's great. You just keep doing that and and working out what else you're good at. Like I'm I'm a good reader. I've got a good memory. I could I could recall. And I think that was one of the early things I realised was a good thing was that I could recall contract schedules and replay that back in meetings when it perhaps wasn't my my it wasn't my remit to do that but if a meeting didn't sound like it's going well I would just like pop up and and say something in response to the client because you know it just seemed to make sense and I think it was just one of those things I never really kind of thought that oh I'm at this level so I need to be quiet I just thought well if we're all in a meeting we must be you know you must be allowed to talk like, shortly yeah 
Yes. Well, I've Probably got it wasn't the case at all. I wasn't supposed to talk, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got to confess that as a young person, um, I didn't. So, yes, I grew up with the you know, respect your elders um, general thing. So, anybody with, uh, who's a bit older was an elder and experienced um, and to be respected. Uh, but I remember in one of my first big meetings, uh, was, I excitedly kept chipping in and talking. And afterwards, I got that feedback. Uh, Ryan, um, next time, sit down, shut up, and observe. Uh, you don't know everything. In fact, you know oh, nothing. Yeah, like, yeah. And I, was <laughs> like I haven't away. had that feedback. <laughs> I was blown away yeah, yeah. by it. And, um, you, you talked before about you've got to work out how to put it aside. That just made, I went quiet for six months. I barely spoke to anyone in any instance in the workplace. I was just like, mm hmm, mm hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it took a little yeah. while to yeah, come back from that one. But, yeah. So I think to be honest, I think I was because I was young. Like you're resilient, right? You're you're mm. you're not ever like from my my background is I didn't I had come from a reasonably good family, um, with um some really terrible things that happened in my upbringing, but that I just always thought if I could get out. I could make my own choices and I would put myself where I wanted to be. I would, I would be safe. I would be fed. I would be, um, I would be able to do those things and I would do them independently. Even though my husband and I, we've been together for a really long time. I just didn't want to be in a position where I couldn't look after myself. And I think um, that was that's the driver. It is about like for me, it was about my background, where it came from, and yeah. so it looked great. The picture was great, but the reality was pretty stark. And so, um, that was a driver, and and you know, and I didn't ever want to be without choice. That was a, that was the big thing for me. And I would take feedback, and it's not like, I, but I was resilient because I, I just thought, well, it's not nearly as bad as living at home, or it wasn't nearly as bad as working at social welfare, where. It was violent and you saw that you know like there would be gang rumbles on the street and so we'd just go and have a, a hot chocolate and sit there and wait it out <laughs> it was just you look back on it and think these days the officers have security and cameras and blah we never had any of that people bring their dogs in and let them yeah. off the you know like torment you basically or they would torment you in your lunch hour walking down the street so I kind of look at those situations of where we came from and what we had to put up with as young people working in a front facing job of that nature um, anything in IT that I came across any kind of sense of um, racism or sexism was just it, it was bad but in the context of what i experienced already i was like oh well you know it's not like a punch in the face really to be honest yes <laughs> yeah um especially when you're just there talking about gang rumbles outside um it could be a very different picture to to a few nasty words from a nasty small-minded person but that was one of the things that was going to raise with you um as we discussed was around being um one of or the only uh, Pacific Island person um, in IT probably for a number of years uh, and also woman. So there's a couple of potential prejudices um, and being a mum um, back in, especially back in the day, I think they're, I think they're different places. But there was a lady, uh, Janine Morris, who you may know through IT, um, who um, actually took her three children into work um, as she was solo mum, took her three children into work in that workplace, ordered her having the kids in their bassinet on her desk and everyone everyone in the office was a babysitter when she had to go to a meeting and whatnot. So she was very fortunate. And I, you know, that, that was going back 20, started back 20 years ago, back in that time yeah. when that sort of stuff wasn't accepted. Um, and, yeah, I used to take yeah, my kids but, into the office and, um, yeah, I'd certainly get some some looks that's for sure like there just wasn't really an option you know and then I had uh we had a second son and my husband um worked overseas and I remember having to take him in I think I went back he was like four weeks old and I, I went back to work um and again it was just like stupid on my part looking back like I didn't need to do that but I really wanted to do the job so I did it and that's you know benefit of hindsight don't do it ladies you're mental just leave it stay at home yeah. look after yourself 
Um, and I remember taking the uh, taking Ethan in in his capsule, and he was asleep. Putting him under the desk and doing work, and uh, people, uh, and it was an all male environment as usual. That's what I came through in a working sense. So I didn't even really think about it to put him down, and started working, and like men kept coming up, going, you know, that this isn't right. You should be at home. I was like, cool, thanks so much for keeping. You just go away and leave me alone. I'm only in here for like four and a half hours. I've got to smash this out, right? Yeah, as you'll be, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. to look after the baby. <laughs> just go yeah. away and leave me alone to it. Whereas these days we can work from home, so nobody actually has to, you know, there's, there's um, those, those times when it happens is few and far between which is we're lucky now but, but yeah back in the day when when the cell phone was almost the size of my bottle bag uh it just it's just as heavy yeah <laughs> we, we had a, a friend we had a friend in the police um when we talked about this and he had the cell phone that had the carry case and the stretchy cord so it was almost like a like a desk phone and um it's like from the wall he used to play softball with us. Um, well, he used to play softball in the, the, the team of dad coach. And uh, he'd have that on the um, side of the field so that if he needed to be called to a job, like he'd, you know, the phone would ring and sort of be like, Hayden, your, your bag's ringing. And he's like, oh, can you answer that? And they go, Hayden's phone? And like, <laughs> no one had one of these things. Everyone's like, "What's what are they doing? And they're like, oh, I think you better take this, Hayden. So he'd uh, come off the field and... Um, and you're like, yep, got to go, and you we jump in. Quite that bad. Well, ours yeah. wasn't quite that bad, but yeah, I used to. It used to be quite heavy with the bottle bag and the baby and the woman mobile phone. So yeah. yeah. Well, what about luggable? Did Did you ever have right? use? Did you ever use a luggable? This is pre laptop, so luggable was about the size of a suitcase. <laughs> so when I was a little. No, not at all. Um, but dad had to come up to her work to carry it down and put it in the boot of the car because it was a, you know, I can't even put the size on screen. It was a suitcase size, and the thing opened up with a little thing like that, and the screen would be about this big. But <laughs> at the end of it would be the size of a suitcase. Uh, no, I was okay. pretty lucky when I went to EDS. They um, set me up with a, a desktop at home. So I had a desktop in the office and a desktop at home so I could work from home and they connected it all. They sent some clever clogs person around to, to set me up so I could um, so I could do that as well. Yeah. Um, oh, I was pretty cool. lucky. I didn't have to, the only thing I lugged around was the baby. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking of um, young people today um, and advice you'd give to young people looking at the uh, IT um, community or as a career yeah, for sure. and whether it be just a young person, young Pacific Island person, young woman, young Pacific Island woman, all in any, um, what advice would you give to those people looking at tech and going, do I want to be part of that? Can I, can I see myself yeah, you being? Do. Yes, you do. Yes, you want to be part of this. This is good. This is a good place to work this sector. It's exciting. We do cool shit, right? So, yeah, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> we'll put that on the slogan. Um, we do cool shit. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Best you bring concrete pills though, because you might need them. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, um, hopefully I guess part of it. From, yeah, from that perspective, I think the things that I talk about most uh is about the fact from a from a um from an ethnicity basis, I guess it. I'm not a great subscriber to leading with my gender or my ethnicity. I'm sort of hoping I never got jobs because I was the only brown person that applied. But, you know, who knows? I don't know. Hopefully it was about my skill set and what I bring to the table. Even if I'm not particularly good at I've improved with writing my CV. But, yeah, the early days, probably not so great. So I suspect there might have been a little bit of that, um, mixing it up a bit in the team. Um but I think yeah, that that's the big thing. We we are we are what we're born, and we're lucky, and so that's what we bring to the table. But that doesn't define us or how we turn up to work. Because when we're when we are employed, we turn up to work. 
they're not asking you to be your team they're asking you to tune up and, and be that skilled resource that they have appointed. and that's the that's the key thing it doesn't mean that you leave your values and your principles at the door it means that you are bringing the whole of you to to that place of employment and that's what you do one of the um challenging things that and this is across all sectors particularly in the pacifica space is that a lot of our young people in technology are facing uh, situations where you you grow up and you get a job and then you you provide you give money back into your families if there's a funeral you give money and money whatever 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 so that's a normal thing pretty common knowledge um, one of the challenges is how to balance that out with being able to get yourself to work and to be able to organise yourself to to turn up to work. And so that's that fine balance of your commitment to your family and um, your commitment to yourself to remain employed. Oh, that's and a really... So, you know, th those are... And it doesn't mean that you are any less of a part of your family if your commitment to remain employed means that you are unable to to attend a funeral or to give whatever number of dollars you're required to. And that's a that's a really tough thing to navigate. And that's there's no easy answer for that. And every family has to deal with that. Every every person of ethnicity, that's that's part of what we do. We do that. But it's a matter of how you figure that out with your with your own people. And it's not easy, <laughs> right? But with people in technology, if you can't expect to go to a funeral and go be away for five days and then come back to work and everything's hunky-dory and then, you know, and we have big families, so you actually sometimes in a given year, there may well be four or five people that, that pass. Um, and and so it is difficult to navigate that, The what which one am I going to go to if this happens? How do I feel about this? Am I going to expect to? Am I going to get in, you know, what's it, the impact of me got? going to the third funeral, the fourth funeral, the fifth funeral. And so that's the reality. It's not just for, for our sector either. That, that that will be something that most employers contend with. Um, but, yeah, so I, I sort of take it from that perspective. As a person of ethnicity, we, if we want to remain employed, we have to be practical um, about this. Yes. This kind of thing, you know. It's really it's a really interesting subject, um, and I've just been thinking of different parts of my experience over the years uh, um, with that. So, my best friend growing up, kid across the road, is John McKeera, a Cook Islander, and um, you know the reference in different stories. Um, but we got end up getting nicknamed two boys because you call one name, you got two boys, and um, it was. Yeah, quite a good insight growing up because I lived Cook Island culture um, probably more than our culture because I spent most of my time at his place. Um, but yeah, the the point you make around the potentially number of funerals uh, and the impact that it has emotionally on a person. So you can't yeah. not have the emotional impact of a loss. You can't turn that off. But le oh, say legally or technically, you've only got five days bereavement holidays per year in the old contract yeah. and you'll see different places now different contracts are changing and I, I worked in one place only a couple of years ago um, as a contractor but still had the still had um, uh, what was it um, your the company gave you aside from the legal statutory or whatever sick days and bereavement days they gave you an extra 10 days, whatever you want. So they said, if you want to just have a day off a mental health day or you want to go to the beach for the day, take one of your 10 days and that's on us. Um, so it wasn't that they had an unlimited access, but they gave an extra thing and said, your responsibility, you use it. So if you need to go to extra funerals or you need to hang out on the beach, you choose, but you've got it to make use of. Um, and well, some I people like have looking like that now you know like that's that it's all about the whole of the person these days right regardless of what sector you work on and, and particularly in technology because we we do tend to work really long hours we're not um we're not you know it's not subscribed and it's not something you'd get interviewed for but yeah are you available to work 
<laughs> that's the question so what does that mean oh yeah okay yeah but i'll do days sweet days um and and that's not possible for everyone right uh, and and when like particularly for me when i'm running um large teams or any number of people you have to contend with that stuff because not not everyone is available all the time and so it's easier i think to work in technology now um because we are able to do that, think about the whole of the person and what they bring to the table and navigate what that means for achieving the outcomes that you're actually needing to get to without um, without offending or isolating any one member of your team. Because it actually, it isn't an ethnicity thing. It is a, we are people who come with a family of yeah. and things, we've got stuff. Um, and so that's that's the nice thing about the growth that that technology has come through. Because, and I know there's a lot of language around the gender and um, diversity and stuff. But I think, like we talked the other day, I I didn't really see that because I just am what I am. Like I just am a Fiji. I just look like this, and I I never really thought about that because, um, as I was saying to you before, when I worked for social welfare, that was a big thing too. That you know, they would have um, they would have fornal. I didn't actually know what a fornal was because I'm Fijian. That's not the language of Fiji. You know that I didn't even know that that was a Samoan word. I actually thought that was a Maori word. So I didn't even know that stuff when I was a kid. So you know, it's all about your perspective, right? And so even now in um, that Pacifica space, it's um, I'm quite mindful and respectful of the fact that we I I do believe in diversity, but it's a diversity of thinking. It's a diversity of, of uh, experience and what we bring to the table. Absolutely, the neurodiversity. And I think a lot of people naturally pin um, neurodiversity to different looking people, um, but it's you know, different Wait, experience. Well, there, Ryan. Hey? <laughs> Good one. I said you take the box here. <laughs> Well, that's that. No, this is this is a thing. Um, it takes a little bit of it takes a little bit of um, effort and awareness for people to detach neurodiversity from physical diversity. And you know, the example is if you had two copies of me sitting here, um, and we talked about the two different experiences growing up, um, and described one being very different to the other, then there's a good example of neurodiversity. Um, hmm. You know, simply me growing up in a family with two boys, that's different to a person that grows up in a family of a brother and a sister or um, or three kids or five kids. Um, and that's yeah, just one little element alone. And people don't people don't realise uh, they're, they're quite different thinking. And I had a guy in my class um, who was a middle child of 14. Um, and he was uh, having to be a... Um, European Pakeha and in case anyone was expecting him to be something else um, and he was he was a really quiet kid but the middle kid supposedly always is because it's the oldest one's the biggest and the noisiest and the youngest one's the smallest and the, the, the loudest as in crying so the one in the middle was <laughs> but he was extremely extremely quiet whereas me I'm the youngest of two and I'm um, probably the more extroverted. My brother is a software um, developer himself, and he will have his nose in front of a computer coding for hours without concern. Yeah. Whereas me, I've got to look for a conversation somewhere after a couple of hours, or I go a bit stir crazy. So there's um, some simple neurodiversity for people that think it's purely about how we look, and it's actually about how we think, which I believe is driven largely by our experiences. So. Um, coming back to you, um, one of the wee questions I um, wanted to sort of ask was uh, get a little bit of an idea of um, uh, what you do in your role, not just for me, but for those listening and those that will look at this later and go, what is a program director? If I'm 16 now and I go into entry-level help desk, how do I get to being a program director and what does that actually do? So if you... Um, so I run, so it's a, it's a delivery job basically. And so you have a number of different projects and, um, across that is a management layer that is responsible for, for ensuring that the strategic direction and vision is delivered through some tactical activity. 
guess is a simple way to explain it. Is that simple? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. How many people would you be looking after? And that's direct report um, and indirect the, the teams that they support. So the interesting thing about a program of work is that the people work with you. So you have a number of project managers and, and some, some other people. They work with you. And so though you're a manager in terms of you, you are the throat to choke if this thing goes. Um, I like to say the hand shake. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was gonna. Anyway, I can't. I can't even think of a non-profanity using statement. For well, you go. You are the person that's going to have to explain to the CIO and the executive uh, leadership team um, why this isn't going well, why it's not tracking, why it's failed, all that stuff. So, um, so that your teams can be successful. And so the the thing is, is that they work with me um they have their own line managers but i build them as a team so that we can have that singular focus of delivering to each of their um prescribed um tasks that they have to do okay and that delivers a big picture thing so so for instance like we might be building a new microwave oven this is a simplistic way to do it to build that microwave oven there might be about uh, 25, 30 streams of work. Each of those 25 or 30 streams of work has a person that's solely responsible for all of the tasks, all of the actions that have to happen to build the widget that goes into building a microwave oven. Um, and then there are side streams for that as to the communication, so how we're going to do the marketing plan, how we're going to talk about this on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the case, may, whatever platform we have to market it on. Um, and then at the end of that, we deliver it up to the boss of microwave ovens and go, da da, a functioning microwave oven, simplistically. Brilliant. So, in a way, program director is almost like the CEO of the um, project delivery. So, if the microwave oven is the, the project, you're talking about the you know, different streams of work to make the widgets that make it, but then also the marketing to communicate and sell it. It almost sounds like a little company within that program. Um, yeah. yeah, and you're responsible for the not just the actions, but also the financial trajectory and the cadence of, of that job. So it's it's not just about the um, it's not just about the rhythm of the delivery and what you're doing. It's also about that: are we doing this work in the most efficient way possible? Are we utilizing resources, the people? Are you we utilizing these skill sets in the right way? Have we got the right people? Um, if we don't, how do we how do we swap people in and out? Um, it's all about that. That's kind of all the parts of a jigsaw puzzle that will enable us to deliver something that the business was expecting. Cool. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna summarize that as um, as yes, the, like the CEO of the project. And the project managers who look after the different streams of work, um, they might they might have a bunch of streams of work, are your senior managers, and their teams that are doing the streams of work are the departments or the teams. And that's kind of a little the way I think about it in my little brain, and um, it's a good nice analogy, especially using the microwave oven because um, every teenager knows what the microwave oven's for. <laughs> yep. Um, noodles without a microwave oven, right? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> There are some creative ways um, uh, as a student. Yep, I, I had a look at a few different creative ways, including using my, um, my uh, not Bunsen burner, but the uh, Billy stove I had for camping. Um, but there's a whole long story behind that. So, um, I was just going to say, just thinking back about the whole IT thing, um, probably one of the things that I've probably didn't say because it is a big thing at the moment around the sexism and racism stuff there is um there's no way that that isn't something i experienced or sometimes experience today um but it's it's again back to that resilience it's just something you've got to you just got to accept just look the way you do and so people will say things in a fashion that's um you either take it as a feed so you just keep walking like it's not a thing I mean, I, 
I don't just experience, for me, racism isn't something that is about working. I more recently tried to go to a jewellery store. So I live in the Hutt Valley and um, went to a jewellery store and I don't usually typically dress as if I'm going to work in the weekend. So I was in my usual hoodie and beanie, went into the jewellery store, needed to get a butterfly for an earring. Took my paperwork with me because I didn't want the lady to think that I'd stolen earrings. Um, and then couldn't get served because uh, their stuff was really expensive. Wow. <laughs> so we're in 2021 <laughs> and I I couldn't get served. Well, she served me, but she basically told me to get out. <laughs> and uh, and I walked away thinking, oh, that, that's really, you know, that's really interesting. That's pretty that, disgusting. Uh, that, well, and it, the thing is, is that there's a lot of, lot around LinkedIn and on the media about, you know, gender bias and um, and racism and all that stuff. It's it's just like a, it's just a fact of life. It's really unfortunate. And um, for those of us who look different, we, we just have to be resilient and know that actually it's how we're tuning up in the world, what we're doing with our children, where our children, my children will experience racism and do experience it. It's a matter of just, we have to be thick skinned. We've got to just carry on because what we're doing is much more interesting and fun than dealing with someone who is small minded and stupid. Yeah. Well, that's some, um, there's a whole bunch of things popping in my head and one of those, no, we shouldn't have to face it. We shouldn't have to deal with it. Well, um, but it's also, uh, and I don't quite haven't quite looked into all the science. Um, you know, part of my background was psychology. That's one an area I really, really enjoy. Um, but within my networking training course I do, I'll talk about the fight, flight, and fright system, um, which keeps us alive. And we remember negative things six times more than positive things because that's where the saber-toothed tiger is hiding in the bush. I won't go past that bush; it'll eat me. Um, so. And we also, um, with our sight, we only see a 50 cent coin of detail and our brain makes up the rest. So we instantly are benchmarking everything. I've seen it before, I know what it is. I've seen it before, I know what it is. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Racism, racism, I think, goes back to a biological time of your different, okay, now, now we all live in a world where we're globalized and we can see and touch, feel, talk to everybody and anybody. Back in the cave person days, oh, you're different. Um, so it was a protection thing. But I sort of think we now live in a time where we're globalised. We can communicate around the world, across the world. We have over 220 ethnicities living in this country alone. Therefore, we need to bring our um, thinking to this level. And the other thing I was thinking is, you know, I've only been in a situation on once or twice where I've been the minority. Once was Singapore. And I was standing in the train station trying to follow my brother, who's like six foot plus, and everyone else was still shorter than me. And I was going, oh, excuse me, oh, sorry, oh. And it's like, it's like Crocodile Dundee in the train station. He's, you know, my brother was at one end. He turned around and goes, what Even are you I doing? I felt tall and living in Malaysia. Even yeah. I felt tall living in Malaysia. It was amazing. Yeah. And I'm so short. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he called around, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to get through. He goes, just walk. So we're having this conversation over everyone's heads. And I was like, but I don't want to smash into anyone. And not one person even stopped to look or listen to what we're saying. And he said, just walk. Walk towards me now. Do it. So I just started walking. And the sea of people just moved around you and you moved around them. It just happened. Um, but it was so different because, to me, my normal thing would be to, A, there would never be that many people in New Zealand, and B, you would courteously say, oh, excuse me, and walk around them. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. not, you know, but it was just an eye-opener, like, this is different. So I often yeah. wonder, um, actually through LinkedIn, a friend um, put on a, a post, um, and uh, she's Samoan, and there was an event in Wellington, and her 10-year-old son, and this is her comment on LinkedIn, said, my son turned around, it was a Pacific event, turned around and said to me, um, this is what it feels like to not be the old one out. So, you know, I sort of, one of the things I think is, what would it be like if I went and lived in Fiji or if I went and lived somewhere where I was there? Um, uh, we're pretty cosmopolitan in Fiji. You wouldn't be the only person looking like that. 
Well, <laughs> when I was there, I was wearing a, a um, rugby jersey, and everyone just went, "Are oh, you oh, a Kiwi?" Was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rugby yeah. jersey, but they all just went, "You're a Kiwi." <laughs> I was wearing a rugby jersey. Yeah, um, so that was pretty welcome. But yeah, I, I just sort of um, rambling all over the place, but yeah, you know, ideally um, we can just um, you know take people for who they are and. Um, what they add to the picture rather than what they look like and have an issue with that for any reason. But that, um, I think for the majority of us, that's what we do. The majority, the majority, that is exactly what happens. We just do that. We we do it because that's normal. The the moments where that doesn't occur, those are not normal. But for young people, that's their lens because, you know, like I live in Wanyu Martin, um, mm. I remember taking some girls to a women in leadership breakfast event and got them to come to Wellington. Now, I just said to them, like, don't even worry. People will be so thrilled that you came out from Wainumata and drove nearly two hours in traffic to get here. Like, you will be so celebrated. And um, and they were. People, the, the women speakers were thrilled that they made the event um, at that time in the morning and they're 11. And so it's more about giving... If you if you can, you give your time to to showcase these things so that they're not they're not for someone else. You can only have that if you're living in a flash house, or you can only have that if you live in, in the hut over the hill. Whereas actually, it's just the hill. Like don't even you know don't even think it's a thing. Well, there's a there's a great movie um, uh, called A Knight's Tale, and I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, Heath Ledger is the yeah. um, uh, I don't know what the correct term is, um, but he's trying to become a knight or, or, or joust. And his father, who he somehow gets separated from, says something like, um, you can change your stars. And I, whenever I saw that, I always thought, yep, um, if I want to, I, I'll change my stars. Uh, but, it was, yeah, that, that reminded me. But, hey, look, we're just coming up on 11 o'clock, so I'm just going to do a little bit of a summary which is me waffling to give you time to think of your closing remarks where you can cover anything you'd like to about IT, about people, about your choices, your advice for young people. But just to summarise, it's been a beautiful session getting to know you and getting to share your story. I think it will be an amazing inspiration to uh, a lot of people, whether they're young or not. Um, it'll be an inspiration about getting into the IT industry. Um, I think it will especially be an inspiration for young women and also young Pacific people uh, because the stats are pretty terrible about the number of Pacific people in IT and we would love to have more. So we're um, trying to inspire them with your story, which I believe will happen. Uh, but, you know, the two things that really stood out for me um, were um, applying for the job and uh, wanting to get that job, even though you didn't have the skill base for it, and the self-teaching, um, getting the books and learning about unified modeling, which is another name for Agile, if anyone didn't see that at the beginning. Uh, and really, you have, um, I use the term um, groundbreaker, um, or carved the path. So you have really you know, made it happen for yourself, which is a beautiful story uh, for anyone. And if anyone is out there sitting back going, oh, I wish I could, or maybe I, maybe I should, here's the story to say, yep, go and give it a go and look what happens. You can achieve what you'd like to, even if you don't think you can or you don't have the skills at the time or the experience, just give it a go and put the effort in. And in your words, commit to doing the job and see it through. So with that, I'd like you to invite you to share your closing remarks for today's Yarn Live. Um, and thank you very much at the same time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Ryan. Um, I guess the thing is, for regardless of where you're at in your stage of life, it's about um, just having the confidence to, to do something and do it for yourself. And also knowing that you must be surrounded by some really good people, people who you class as clever or whatever your reference point is. Just talk to them, take their advice and figure out how to, to work out your CV, what cover letter might be, how you turn up to an interview, 
um, look on LinkedIn, like there's heaps of things, reach out to random people. I used to ask people questions all the time. So questioning, reading, um, talking, that's that's one of the key things, I think. And trusting yourself, back yourself, like that's the thing. Absolutely. People detractors out there. If you don't back yourself, you'll, you'll definitely not be able to work in any sector because... Yeah, as any one of us adults can attest to, there's plenty of people's feedback. I'm just dropping that um, into the closing note and I'll go back and edit that with additional points that you made. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much. And normally we would say, I would say kakitiano, but if we were to say goodbye in Fiji, and I, I know how to say hello, but what would be goodbye in Fiji? Samote. Samote? Mote? So, M-O-C-E, more there. More there, manda. M-O-C-E, more there. Like the, more there. Oh, more there, with a, with a V. Thank you, Ryan. There. So I keep going to say that you keep teaching me um, as I keep over-talking the lesson. My apologies. I um... That's 11.02. See ya. Thank you so much. Been magic. Thank, Thank you so much. You. All right. Thank see you, you later, everybody. Bye. Bye.